Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Tonight, um, I have decided that uh, we're going to be talking for the next two, three, I don't know, maybe four weeks about the book of Proverbs. And, um, and so I think you'll get something out of it. Hallelujah. And, uh, you know, Proverbs is one of those kind of books that is full of practical wisdom. And if there's anything about me that, you know, that is my thing is, is, is being practical. Sometimes I can be practical to, to an extent that's just more than, than I ought to be practical. You know, and because my practicality thinking gets me in trouble sometimes but you know what the whole book of of proverbs is about wisdom practical and wisdom isn't necessarily the same thing and so we're going to be talking about this because you know god's looking for well-rounded balanced christians you know there's a saying that goes something like this that some people are so spiritually minded that they're no earthly good their head is in the clouds, in the ozone, out there in the ethernet, whatever it is, you know, that you can't have a reasonable conversation with them. That everything has to be couched in spiritual terms. Listen, God knows we live here. We live here, okay? And though my life should be filtered through the word at every turn, I don't have to go around just spouting the word all the time. I should be the walking word. You know, and so he wants us to get to the place where we're, we're, we use wisdom, that we have wisdom in every part of our lives. He doesn't want us to be so carnally minded that we're no spiritual good. You know, there's, there's a balance to this thing. And, you know, Brother Hagen was, I think, one of the most spiritual people I've ever met. Had the privilege of sitting down with him many times, you know, at you know, in services as well as just on a fellowship basis. We've we've had an opportunity to to have dinner with him many times over the years, and and just was a wonderful man. But you know, it was so interesting that there were times when you could have him in a in a in a setting that was more of a social type setting, fellowship type setting, and you just talking just a little bit about the word, and suddenly the spirit of God would move into the place. You know, I remember back, I don't remember now what year that was. We were trying to, Pastor and I were talking about the other day, trying to remember what year it was that we were in Charlotte, North Carolina for a minister's conference where, where he was. And, and uh, we had been asked to stay over. About 100 people were asked to stay over to have a surprise birthday party for him on a, on a Saturday night. And so uh, we were there. And, um, and you know, this, this one thing I have learned, don't ever leave till the prophet of God leaves. You stay put. And so most everybody had gone. There was only probably, I don't know, 12, 14 ministers left and, and some of the helpless people who were there at this home that were serving and different things. And Brother Hagin was sitting in the kitchen just talking and somebody asked him a question. And suddenly, the Spirit of God fell in that place. And we were there till 4 o'clock in the morning. Now, when we got back to our hotel room the next morning, Chris, maybe this was a Friday night, when we got back to our hotel room about 4.30, there were some people who had been at this party that were 
getting ready to leave on a plane shortly, so they were having to get to the airport. And they came out and they looked at us and they said, where have you been? We went to Jackson's house. What were you doing? And I'm going, well. And so you begin to explain to them. They went, we knew we shouldn't have left. We knew we shouldn't have left. We knew we shouldn't have left. And yet, you know, he was a man that would love to talk to you about things like sports. He loved to play games. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. There are some people who want you to think that if you're not so spiritual all the time, 100% of the time, there's something wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with you. There is something wrong with them. Because those are the kind of people who are what I call socially awkward. That should have gotten a bigger laugh. But God wants you to be spiritual, but he wants you to just be just, just an ordinary person too. Listen, who is this world going to reach out to when, in times of need? Somebody super spiritual or somebody who's just, they think, will understand where they're coming from. We'll understand what they're going through. We'll understand what they feel like. We'll understand what, how they think. You and I are that kind of people. We should always strive to be that kind of people. You know, not that, not that I, don't, I don't value those people who are that spiritually mine, but I'm thinking, you know, you could affect a whole lot more people if you weren't in the ozone all the time. And so Proverbs is full of wisdom. Wisdom that will help you to, in areas like in family situations, in social settings, in your finances, in how to take care of your body, the things that you say. Proverbs is full of things like that. How you conduct yourself in the affairs of life, your integrity. There's, it's full of that kind of stuff. And so, you know, we, we, it's a good thing to go back and read Proverbs. I, I read a story about a man who is a head of a ministry now, and I can't remember now exactly what his name was. And he was talking about how he, he as a teenager would spend hours, hours and hours studying. And he would, the best he could do was like a C. You know, mostly it was D's. And then finally, he got over, he just started reading the book of Proverbs all the time. And suddenly, he wasn't studying as much in his, in his books, but his grades began to go up. You know, and he stopped and he looked and he, and he figured out the only thing different that I've done is, is I've been spending time in the Word. Where do you think wisdom comes from? It comes from spending time in the Word. And so, you know, I, I mean, I've known other people like that, you know, who just, you know, had learning disabilities. And they would just find verses in Proverbs, you know, just to confess over themselves. And, and, and God would just supernaturally enable them to do what they need to do in spite of a learning disability. Listen, a learning disability is something that can be healed just like a cold can be healed. You do not have to have it. You do not have to keep it. You do not have to nurse it. You do not have to medicate it. The word of God will solve that problem. Uh, you know, Jenny is, is 10 today. And, you know, you look at her, you think she's a Downs child. She's got that extra chromosome that you and I don't have. She's, got, she's one up on us. And I remember the first time you guys came to church, how, how old was she? She's like one month old. How much? Three weeks old. And they came back to church. Now, now Leslie had never been here, but Jimmy had, had gone here to church 
back when he was a young man and a teenager and had kind of fallen away from the things of God. But when Jenny was born and they gave them the diagnosis of what was wrong with Jenny and gave them the prognosis about he was going to have to have heart surgery and that she would never be this and she would never be that, she'd never be that, he said, I know where to go. And to this day, she's 10. And I'll tell you what, she has made tremendous strides. You know, Jimmy had some wisdom. Where to go and what to do. How to get some help for a child that they said couldn't be helped. And we're not done with her yet. The word of God is working in her. She's made tremendous strides. But it took parents who had some wisdom to know where to go. And what to do. And where to look and what to apply in her life and their life to make a difference. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Uh, You know, it's just Proverbs is full of things about the everyday life. You know, we live in two worlds, like I said before, a natural world and a spiritual world. But you know, you know, you could be schooled in all the in him truths that you want to be schooled in. But let me tell you, the righteousness of God has to wash the dishes, has to wash the clothes, has to go to the grocery store, has to pay the bills, has to mow the yard, has to take out the garbage. I might know who I am in Christ, but I also know who I am in just this world. I got something to do. There are things that have to be done. Being spiritual minded ain't going to get those things done. But if I'm going to have to do them, I want to do them the best way. There's no point in doing them, you know, just, you know, let's be more, more efficient. You know, with something. God's wisdom will make you efficient in every area of life. Hallelujah. Um, uh, you know, it just Proverbs, you know, it's, it's just a prime reference source for wisdom, for the nitty gritty details of our lives. Let's face it, taking the garbage out is part of the nitty gritty. Paying the bills is part of the nitty gritty. Washing the dishes is part of the nitty gritty. Unless you say, well, I've got a dishwasher. Well, I do too, but I don't use it. I turned that thing on the other day because I hadn't used it in so long. And I'm thinking, my Lord, how long does this thing take? I mean, it's an hour and a half later and it's still running. What is the deal here? It's a brand new dishwasher. We moved into this house, you know, it's it's the rental that we're living in. And it was just a few months old. We moved into it. And I think the guy that lived there, I don't know if he'd only used it once or twice. So the thing's only probably been run three or four times and it's its existence. And I'm like, well, what in the world? I mean, there's an hour and a half later, and it's still running. This is why I hand wash dishes, you know. So anyway, um, so, you know, we're looking at at wisdom. And um, so where does wisdom come from? I want you to turn with me to Job 28. That's not Proverbs. Well, I know that. It's Job 28. But Job's got something to say about wisdom. Hallelujah. Let's start in verse 12. It says, but where shall wisdom be found and where is the place of understanding? Man knows not the price thereof, neither is it found in the land of the living. The death says it's not in me and the sea says it's not, in, it's not with me. It cannot be gotten for gold, neither shall silver be weighed for the price thereof. It cannot be valued with the gold of Ophir, with the precious onyx or the sapphire. The gold and the crystal cannot equal it, and the exchange of it shall not be for jewels of fine gold. No mention shall be made of coral or of pearls or of the price of wisdom is 
above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia shall not equal it, neither shall it be valued with pure gold. Whence then comes wisdom? And where is the place of understanding? Seeing it is hidden from the eyes of all living and kept close from the fowls of the air. Destruction and death say we have heard the fame thereof with our ears. God understands the way thereof and he knows the place thereof. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees under the whole heaven to make the weight for the winds and he weighs the water by measures. When he made the decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then did he see it and declare it. He prepared it, yet he searched it out. And unto man he said, Behold the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. Listen, that word there, fear, is not me like I am afraid of you, God. It's reverence for the things of God. When you keep things in a place where you understand that it's reverence for the things of God that will bring you to wisdom. You know, that's where you really start. You know, here in verse 13, Job points out that man, it's, it's totally, he's not able to find wisdom on his own. You know, we have to stop looking at man for wisdom. We have to stop looking at man. Man knows so little. You know, I think it was, who was it was saying last week? Was it you, John, that, you know, two years ago this was bad for you and now it's good for you and then and tomorrow it's going to be bad for you again? Man's wisdom comes and goes. It's subject to change. Just because they say it's a fact today doesn't mean it's still going to be a fact tomorrow. It says in verse 23 that God is the one who knows all about wisdom and that it's the reverence of the Lord. It's, it's the... It's the understanding that it's all God that gets us wisdom. The first thing we have to do is always understand that wisdom comes from above. It comes from God. You know, Jesus came in the flesh. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So the best place to get wisdom is in your lap. If it's not in this form, maybe it's in the form of a tablet or, a, or an iPhone. But it's, it's the word of God that brings you wisdom. And it's going to always bring you the same wisdom. It's not subject to change like man's wisdom is. You know, and that's the thing. You know, um, I, I, see, I see people change. For, you know, they think, well, you know, this is, this is how it, this ought to be, you know, because after all, today's culture. Listen, the wisdom of God transcends time and cultures. What we see in the word today worked then when it was written. It's worked ever since. It still works today. It is still valid for today. Go over with me to Proverbs 1. Hallelujah. Proverbs 1. And it says, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Did you know that, that, that actually David sat down and taught Solomon so many of these precepts that Solomon wrote down? Solomon didn't come up with all of these on, on his own. These were lessons passed to him by his father. Now, David hadn't, didn't have such a great record with his other, two other sons, Absalom and Adonijah, that failures, but I think he realized his mistake. You know, when he began to train Solomon, Solomon was the man who was going to be king after him. He needed the help. 
He needed the training. He needed the wisdom that David could give him. And so, so that just, just saying that. Anyway, Proverbs 1, uh, verses 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the young man, knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and will increase learning. And a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb in the, in the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord, again, the reverence. The reverence of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. We've got two separations here, wisdom and instruction. We've got knowledge and, and wisdom. And wisdom is taking in God's word. Wisdom is acting on God's word. Knowledge is an accumulation. Wisdom is an application. You know, there's a lot of people who know a lot of things, just like I said earlier, all these people who are schooled, I mean, I know who I am in Christ, but they can't get along with anybody. They don't know how to maintain relationships. They don't know how to come in and out of the rain sometimes. I mean, let's face it, one of the smartest people you would ever probably want to meet was probably Albert Einstein. And the man didn't even remember his own phone number. Now, let's face it, the theory of relativity may be an exciting thing to scientists, but what good is it when it comes to putting dinner on the table? Really? So he has a man of, of great knowledge, but he had no wisdom. His life outside of his little scientific environment was a mess. A mess. Well, now, let's face it. In the big scheme of things, he is remembered as, the, as this great scientist. But what do you think his children might think? Do I care more about what my children think and the legacy that I leave them? Just like we were talking about Billy Graham. What good is it to have all this wonderful accomplishment of natural things? when you don't leave a legacy for your children, a legacy of faith, something that's eternal. You know, those things that we know here on earth, they don't mean a thing to God. Not a thing. The theory of relativity does not bind him. It has no effect on him. But I tell you what, the way we learn to live our lives and the way we conduct ourselves and the impact and the influence that we have on people are the eternal things that do matter to God. Amen. Does God want us to excel in our fields? If you're a scientist, absolutely. And he will give you such wisdom that you will make grand discoveries that nobody else has ever seen before. But in the end, the important things are what are the eternal things. 
So knowledge, you can gain a lot of knowledge. You can gain a lot of knowledge of the, of the word and not have any wisdom. I mean, pastor's been talking on Sunday mornings about, about the humanity and the deity of Jesus. Listen, there are theologians all over the place who have a lot of Bible knowledge and yet they don't comprehend that. They've not, they, they, can, they can spout you all kinds of scriptures. They, can, they know all this stuff and, and all this, but they've never had the wisdom to apply those scriptures they're spouting to what is reality that needs to become come just by divine revelation into their lives because there's just no wisdom there. Can you imagine how sad that is? To be full of the word but not really understand it not really have any understanding of what it says, not have any revelation of what it says, not have a clue how it could impact your life while you live here. When we get to heaven, it won't matter. Although I believe there's still more for us to learn when we get to heaven. I don't think learning is over when we get there. I think there's more. There's, there's so much that you and I will never be able to comprehend here that I believe the lessons are going to continue when we get there. But wisdom, wisdom to apply what you know here, you know, is something totally different. Um, uh, you know, Solomon, for all of his wisdom, still failed his sons. Isn't that sad? And, and I got to look at that today, and I thought, now, Lord, how did that happen? The man wrote all these psalms, I mean, all these proverbs. I mean, he, he was renowned for the wisdom he had. What happened? Well, because he began to lack it in his own life. Because he began to seek after some other things apart from God at some point in his life that took him down a path that wound up having his son split the kingdom. You know, it's so important that we make sure that as parents and as grandparents that we keep our lives focused and on track where the wisdom of God is concerned because it affects more than just you. And I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit. Um, but wisdom builds on wisdom. I mean, it, it's supposed to be that you and I get to a place where we walk so well in the wisdom of, that, that we know, that we can see in the Word. We pass it on to our children who build on that and pass it to their children who build on that. Every generation should get stronger, not weaker. Every generation should be able to build on what the previous generation built on. Pastor was talking about that on Sunday. We move on in the things of God. We don't throw away what's come before us. We build on it. And God wants us to take the wisdom that he, that he wants to impart to us and build on it and pass it to that next generation and to the next generation and to the next generation and to the next generation. I mean, you and I came up. Most of us were not born into like the word of faith. We, we came up at a time where we had to, we had to get to a place where we, we put aside tradition and, and the thinking of man and see what the word had to say. And we clearly see it today more so than we've ever seen it. But we have children who 
have been born into this, who will be stronger Christians than you and I have ever been because we've laid a foundation for them. But you have to keep laying it. Just because they grow up, I'm, I really am getting ahead of myself. Just because they grow up and move out of your house, does that mean you're still not an example? That you're still not laying a foundation for them to build on? How many times have I seen over, over all these years where there was a situation, something that happened? You know, maybe a child is, is about ready to be grown or, or they're, they're, they're adults now or whatever, and the parents make a tremendous mistake in their walk with God, and it affects that child who's grown. They're still looking at you. They're still depending on you to keep the foundation steady and stable. Sure. Because, you know, I, I'm just so all over, all over my notes now. This is terrible. Uh, the word proverb actually means a rule or a standard. In the Hebrew, it means to be like. So I went to the dictionary, and I said, well, exactly what is a standard, Lord? And so these are some things that I found. A principle governing conduct, action, and procedure. Another one said, used as a basis for morals, ethics, and habits established by authority as acceptable. Well, now, if these are God's standards, these Proverbs are examples of God's standards. You can't tell me that I can argue with the fact that uh, he knows best, that his standards are not only acceptable, but they're reasonable and they're right. And for us to deviate from that is only going to be to our harm. But it affects more than just you. You know, if you're, now I don't like tomatoes in no way, no, you know, unless it's tomato sauce. Um, but if you're going to plant tomatoes, what do you do? You plant that tomato and you let it grow for a little while. Now what do you do? You stake it to something, don't you? Tie it to something? Well, what you tie it to is the standard. See, when you have children, or you get, when you get born again, suddenly now you, need, you have found your standard. The word of God is your standard. And if you will keep yourself attached to it, it will keep you straight. And yet the more we grow, sometimes we just kind of like, just like a tomato plant, we'll want to kind of get out here. Well, what happens? You got to take that thing, you got to tie it up a little higher. You know, keep that word going. Just keep it going. But you got to stake it. You got to put it, you got to get it connected to that stake, to that standard again. Listen, that's what we have to do with our children. As we're raising them, we have to establish the standard for our homes. And then as they grow, we need to make sure they stay attached to that standard. And as they begin to grow, we kind of let them begin to have a little more say in their lives, you know, but you need to make sure they come back to the same standard. The same standard. The same standard. You can let, let go, you can let tomato plant go for a little and say, okay, now where's it going to go? What's it going to do? Is it going to grow out this way? Is it going to grow out this way? Well, when you see it's going the wrong way, you bring that little booger right back in line. 
You know, I, I tell people all the time that the, the most interesting, most difficult time of your child's life is the transition into adulthood. Because up until then, you've been the parent, you know exactly what your job and your responsibility is, but now you're having to, to find out a new definition of parenting as they begin to get to that age. But, you know, you don't wait until they're 18 to say, okay, well, now you can decide everything. You need to start giving them some room to make some decisions. Let's see where it goes. And when it doesn't go right, bring it back up to where it needs to be. Correct it. Bring it back. Stake it back. Tie it back to that standard. I made myself several notes. You know, I wrote myself this up. Give them an opportunity to get wisdom on their own and apply it correctly. And bring them back in line when they're not doing such a good job. Give them the opportunity. Because right now, when, as they're growing and they're still in your house, the consequences of their bad decisions, their lack of wisdom, are not nearly as great as they will be once they leave your home. And they need to be so rock steady, solid about where their foundation is and where their standard is that when they go out into the world, you don't have to really worry about them. It's really a matter of the heart. It's not just rules and regulations defining their actions. It's about a heart thing. You want to do it in such a way as you raise them that it becomes a matter of the heart and as they grow, they see the reason for the standard, the reason why they discipline themselves, the reason why they keep themselves in check, the reason why they make decisions that need to be made in spite of what other people say, in spite of what other people do, in spite of what the world says. Because listen, the world's not silent. There are too many people over the years who've just said, well, I'm just going to let them make choose for, the, choose for themselves. Nobody ever chooses for themselves. Do you hear me? Really, nobody ever does because there's influences coming all the time. The world is, just because you, you become silent, the world doesn't become silent. And they are always pulling at your child. Always. Your voice has to be the loudest voice. The standard of God has to be the loudest in their lives. I would, when, when I see and hear some of the things that are taught on today's college campuses, I'm just appalled by it all. I'm appalled to hear some of the things that some of the kids have to endure in even a high school, given the wrong teacher. You know what? You do what you, you teach them that you got. You do what you got to do in that class to get out, get in, and get out with a decent grade. But but they have to understand that is not right. It's not right. If there's a way to stand up for the things of God, you do it. I mean, Lizzie, you told me about a class that you took. Was that that was college, right? And she she well, I won't even get try to do that. But anyway, you know. It's a mess. The world, the world is not going the way of God. Our society has changed. There was a time when schools reflected the things that are found in the Word. Respect for authority. Um, just common decency. 
you know, respect for elders, you know, all these kind of things. It's not there anymore. It's just not there. Listen, you, you, have, a, you have children who are needing to decide on a school or a career or whatever. You need to be careful where you send them. You need to be careful of the activities they get involved in. Don't encourage them to join organizations that will cause them to backslide. Mm -hmm. I don't care how much fun a sorority or a fraternity looks like, how much good they do in civic things, how many fundraisers that they do, how much social you know, things that they get involved in. Listen, all it is is, is, is ungodliness. Unless you can find a Christian sorority, a Christian fraternity, and then you still need to check it out good. Don't you ever encourage them to join some of that. You're encouraging them to join hands with the devil. Now, you know, maybe you think, well, that, you don't know what you're talking about. Well, I've seen the results of it. I see all this on, the, on these campuses all the time. I mean, listen, they may do some good. They may go out and raise, you know, let's, let's have a walk for cancer today. Well, it's like, let's do a walk for this and a walk for that. Let's, let's raise money for the March of Dimes. But what else are they doing? The good that's in there does not outweigh the bad. And your child is going to get caught up in that. If they're going to actually be a part of that, they're going to get caught up in that. It's going to cost them. Is it worth it? No. It's not worth it. There's a standard that needs to be set in our lives individually and for the families that God entrusts to us. Your conduct, the decisions you make as an adult, as a parent, must always be looked at in the context of, well, this is what I want. Yeah, but how does it affect the rest of your household? How does it affect your children? What an example is it you're setting for them? Are you setting an example of compromise to them? It'll cost you. The cost is not worth it. The cost is not worth it. You look at Solomon. You go back and you ask him, Solomon, was your compromise worth the destruction of your kingdom and the failure of your son? He would say, no. The man who wrote the book of Proverbs would say, no, it wasn't worth it. You might think, well, it's, it's just a little thing. It's just some little something. It might not be something big. Maybe it's just some little something. Little things have big consequences. I can look back along life and I can see little decisions that were made along the way that I look back now down that road and go, if I hadn't made that little decision, I would never be where I am today. A small change of course can mean an entirely different destination. Wow, I don't think I really meant to go there, but that's okay. The Word of God isn't changeable. It's not up for discussion. It's not up for compromise. And as parents and grandparents, it's 
God expects us to maintain that for the sake of the ones who come after us. You know, God knows what he's talking about. And the things that you find in the book of Proverbs are not old-fashioned. They're not out of date. They may be politically incorrect, but that's what it took, and that's what it will take to raise the kind of children that we need to raise and to conduct ourselves the way we should. Uh, over in 1 Kings 4.29, it says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding, exceeding much and largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite and Heman and Chalcol and Darda, the sons of Mahal. And his fame was in all nations round about. And he spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. And he spake of trees, from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even unto the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of fowl and of creeping things and of fishes. And there came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth which had heard his wisdom. It says he spake 3,000 proverbs and his songs were 1,005. Can you imagine? We don't have 3,000 listed here. So God had to take, you know, like the cream of the crop and put them in this book for us to read. Things that would affect us. But if you see it here in verse um, 33, it says, He spake of trees from the cedar tree, huge tree, to the hyssop that springs out the wall, little tiny thing. thing about Proverbs is it talks about big things and little things. Because big things matter, but so do little things. And, and it's in, just necessary you know, that we pay attention to the little things as well as the big things because sometimes the little things are what makes the biggest turn. I mean, one little turn can get you lost if you're driving down the road. One little turn. Oh, I, I went, I, I took this fork instead of that fork. Well, it wasn't a big turn. It was just a little turn. But you're in the wrong place. But listen, you know, if, if Solomon was a man who could have had like a thousand was it that, what did they say? A thousand and five songs? Why not you have a bunch of songs? Doesn't it say over in Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts? Well, the reason he could come up with so many songs was because he was full of the word of God at that time. Well, that tells me that you get full of the word of God. Songs will come out of you. Wisdom will come out of you. It's there, resonant on the inside of you, just seeking an outlet to come out. Hallelujah. And it says, uh, you know, that there came from all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon, from all the kings of her, the earth, which had heard of this wisdom. So, if kings came from everywhere to hear Solomon's wisdom, I think it's incumbent upon us to take a look at Proverbs, you know, and just see what Proverbs has to say. I had somebody say one time, you know, that maybe since there's 31 books 
in, in Proverbs, maybe you should make it a habit of reading one book of Proverbs a day, one a month, one day every, every, month, every month. So that way, at the end of the year, you've read it, the book of Proverbs, 12 times. Can you imagine the wisdom that God could impart to you from doing that? I mean, when you, when you read something like this and, and you expect to get some wisdom out of it, you know, there's amazing what God can talk to you about. To me, I, I see things in, in, in the Word, and, and you, you, at the time, you don't, you don't think too much. It doesn't really register maybe at the time. But tell you what, certain situations will come up, and God will bring that back up out of you. God will bring it back up. This is what you do. This is what you do. This is what you do. Oh, yeah, this is what, this is what the Word said. This is what the Word said. Listen, that's what it's all about. Um, hallelujah. Oh, I'm going to try to have to do this. You know, Jesus has been made wisdom unto us now. And can you imagine the fact, can you imagine what Solomon could have done had he had the Holy Ghost on the inside of him? I mean, the Holy Ghost. You know, over in John, he said he's the, the comforter. That, that one is the counselor, the helper, the intercessor, the advocate, the strengthener, the standby. Oh, man, to have had that in conjunction with, a, with something that's written in the Word, you and I have such an advantage on getting wisdom. Such an advantage. Um, uh, okay, let's see. Second Chronicles 1, 6 through 12. Let me just read it to you because I've got it written down already. It says, Solomon went up hither to the brazen altar for the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of the congregation, and offered a thousand burnt offerings upon it. In that night did God appear unto Solomon and said to him, What ask what I shall give thee? We see, we know this story, but do we really pay attention to this story? And Solomon said unto God, You have shown great mercy unto David my father, and you've made me king over a people like the dust of the earth and multitude. Give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this, pe this people. For who can judge this thy people that is so great? And God said to Solomon, Because this was in your heart, and not because you've asked for riches and wealth or honor, nor the life of your enemies, neither have you asked long life, but you've asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge is granted unto you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings have had that have been before thee. Neither shall there be any after thee like, like, of the like." You know, and, and so, you know, you, you, you look at this and you say, well, you know, well, Solomon offered him a thousand offerings, you know, and God doesn't want us to do that today. No, but he wants us to offer ourselves. You know, we're the people who bring him the acceptable sacrifice of praise. You know, when you put your whole heart into praising God and to serving him, he's going to give you so much. He's going to impart to you so very much. You know, Solomon didn't offer those sacrifices because it was, it was the law. He did it because he loved God. Again, we've got a heart thing going on here. God had his heart at that time. Does God have your heart? You know, if you need wisdom, then, you know, God will, will give it to you. But you got to ask. James, it says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all men liberally, and upbraids not, and it shall be given into him. I like that. Upbraids doesn't give him a hard time. The only dumb question is a question that you don't know the answer to and you won't ask. 
somebody's got a question in there and, and, and they, they just, you know, I don't know the answer. Well, okay, then we'll find an answer. But you can't find it if you won't ask somebody. Listen, God just says, if you need some wisdom, ask me. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. I won't think it's a stupid question. Sometimes we don't even know the question to ask. Sometimes I need to say, Lord, tell me what it is I need to know. I mean, I, I don't even know what I need to know. I don't even know. I mean, I, I know where we start. You know, it's kind of like we built this building. I mean, there were things that we didn't know that we didn't even know we needed to know. You know, and so we got done with it. It was like a miracle that this place got finished because, because he, he just brought us through so many things, you know, in the building process that, that got us there. And it's like Pastor said, the only thing he'd ever built before was a bookshelf and, and shop in, in high school, and they weren't straight. You know, so, I mean, you got to have some wisdom in some places where you don't know, when you don't even know what you need to know. God can let you know what it is you need to know and then tell you what it is you know. Amen. But uh, anyway, it says in Proverbs 3, verses 13 through 17, um, happy is the man that finds wisdom and the man that gets understanding. For the merchandise of it is better than the merchandise of silver and the gain thereof than fine gold. She's more precious than rubies and all the things that you can desire are not to be compared with her. Length of days is in her right hand and in her left hand riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her paths are peace. Listen, that very first verse in 13, it says, happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man that gets understanding. What do those two words imply? Find and get. It means you've got to do something. God's not going to drop it on you like apples out of, out of a tree. You have to go dig it. You know, it's like gold. Gold doesn't usually just sit on the surface. You have to dig for it. And sometimes you have to, go, have to do some digging for some things. If you want some wisdom and some understanding, you're going to have to dig a little bit. You have to put some effort into it. Too often we want to just slide by and when we slide by we're usually sliding on our own version of wisdom. God wants you to rely on him and it's going to take you putting some effort into it to get what you're after. You know, you fill yourself with the knowledge that's in the word and then you ask God for the wisdom to put it into, into practice. Some of it's very obvious. Some of it maybe not. Some of it, you know, you, you may have to say, Lord, I see it. I, help me. Help me. For it's God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's a verse that I tell you what, that right there is wisdom. When you see that, when you understand that, Lord, when I don't, I just, I really am to the place where I don't even know that I want to do this anymore. Lord, your word says it's you that works in me both to will and to do of your good pleasure. But you, you know, it takes some work. It takes some effort. If you're not willing to work on it, you're, you know, what's the point in God giving it to you? If you're not willing to work a little bit, if you're not willing to dig a little deeper, if you want more, you have to dig a little more. You know, there's, there's a gold mine down there waiting for you. You just have to dig it out. You have to get the word for yourself and dig it out. It's there. You know, it's, it's just, it's right there. Too often people stop just before, you know, they strike it rich in the things of God. Because, well, this just isn't, it's so dry. It's so dead. Listen, everybody goes through dry times. 
Everybody goes through times when it just doesn't feel like it works. It doesn't look like it works. It doesn't sound like it works. But it works. Because the word says it works. It works. Now let me get the wisdom I need to make sure that it's working in me. But, you know, if you won't apply it, God can show it to you in the word all day long. But you have to apply it. You have to, you have to work the word. You have to put it into place. Don't be just a hearer. You got to be a doer as well. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.